Welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And uh, today we have one really big piece of news uh, and then a couple smaller things we can uh, definitely talk about. But uh, let's just get right into it. DJ Smith is finally no longer coach of the Ottawa Senators. Pour one out for DJ. Pour one out indeed. Why did this take so long? So that's the big thing. And there's there's a lot to get into, really. But I think the most disappointing thing is that they waited so long. And and, and the reason is when they, so the, the Dorian thing happens, right? I think from an outside perspective, and correct me if I'm wrong here, it probably would have been very easy to just say, DJ Smith should be gone with Dorian, even though Dorian got fired for, something that isn't DJ Smith's fault. Yep. New guy, new coach. Yeah. Um, He's clearly a lame duck too at that point. Like, I don't think that's unreasonable. Yeah. And and I think the reason it didn't happen then was a, I just don't think they would have viewed that as fair to DJ Smith because Dorian, the principal reason Dorian got fired was because of how badly he screwed up that entire Evgeny Dadnoff situation. Yep. Um, Obviously, I think there was a good chance Dorian might've been gone at the end of the year anyways, but that was the principal reason they gave. So then I do understand why they couldn't turn around and also be like, also the coach is gone because, well, we don't want him there, you know, because people would associate the two rightfully or wrongfully without looking at anything else. Yeah, that's fair. The other reason they gave was that despite performance, they want stability because the entire Pinto situation went down. The Dorian situation went down. They were the talking point in the league again for like two, three weeks. And they claimed that stability was important. And that guys in the change room came up and said they want DJ Smith to stay. Um, I don't know how much to believe the change room thing. It makes enough sense to me because he is a player's coach. And that is very, very obvious. Um, but that was the primary reason was stability. And at the time, for like the week or two that the Dorian thing is going on, I can go, okay, again, I don't think I really, like I don't totally agree, but I at least understand a little bit where they're coming from. The logic isn't the worst, even though you wouldn't do the same thing kind of thing. Yes, agreed. However, when they then turn around and I think it was two weeks ago now, hired Jack Martin as senior advisor to the coaching staff, that right there is the time they should have just made the move. Yeah. Yeah, when you're bringing the imp- replacement in-house anyways. And it it's so painfully obvious that the replacement in-house is coming. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you get, like, the adult in the room kind of thing. Yeah, like, it was very, uh, very clear. And so that's really where, and, and I'll be honest, like, if we're going big picture on this, I don't think DJ should have even started this season as the coach. I, I couldn't believe they kept him in the summer all the excuses of, well, he needs a better roster. It's like, he's had a fine roster for two or three years now. And they've been absolutely dog shit. Like, and people used injuries as an excuse last year. And sure. The team had some brutal injury luck, but like good teams find a way to battle through that. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like this is, we talked about this last week, a lot of the time too, when coaches get fired, we're always just like, it's usually more on the guy who built the roster in our opinions. And I think that is a good general logic to follow. Um, however, this feels like a fairly obvious exception to that rule. Completely agree. And 
definitely want to get into the roster in a little bit. Yeah, but not that the roster was constructed perfectly for him or anything, but still. But it's good. It's better than what it is right now. Like they are currently on an L four. They are back down to bottom of the entire league. I want to say um, they're eleven and fifteen, so they're bottom in their own division for sure. Uh, and, and and again, they they're they ahead still of the Sharks have, and Blackhawks openly right. taking teams. That's, that's yeah, that's awesome teams to be ahead of. <laughs> like it's and, and again, I get they have some games in hand, but it that game's shrinking. It's no longer six or seven. It's for the most part, three or four again uh, on teams. And I guess for some, it is six looking at it again, but yeah, like they're, they have a minus one goal differential, which is pretty funny for being last in the conference. Um, but uh, the, that to me screams that this team is underperforming and it's due to coaching. Like if you're a team that has is bottom of the conference, you can't seem to string multiple successful performances in a row but when you do win, you win very effectively. It's like, well, that probably says to me, at least, it has the makings of a good roster not being used properly. Yeah, and like we talked about it a bit too, when they're like they have the roster they have, and they're playing dump and chase and stuff. Like, it just seems like a very obvious situation that is not working out. Yeah, one hundred percent. And like, again, just. And it hasn't been maybe as much of an issue this year, but like it's been a recurring trend of, and this DJ Smith is not alone in this. Don't get me wrong, but he loves to play bad players. Like Travis Hamanick isn't an NHL defenseman. And he was getting top four minutes when Thomas Shabbat went up. It's like, give those to Eric Branscombe. I'm begging you. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's gotta be something better than that. That seems 27th in XG. Yeah, exactly. Like they just, you can make an argument. They're getting lucky. Yeah. Like the wow. the team, because again, like they're down a goal. They don't even get the score effects boost because when they're down a goal, they just dump the puck in and try to go get it. Uh, yeah, that's and, ugly. Yep. They're 19th in Corsi 4 percentage, but they're, yeah, 27th, I think, by natural stat trick as well and expected goals. Um, wow. They're a little higher, I guess. They are, did I sort by the right thing there? Okay, so they're 20, uh, 22nd in the league in natural statrics uh, expected goals. But again, like the teams below them, Buffalo, Arizona, Washington, Anaheim, Montreal, St. Louis, Columbus, Chicago, San Jose. Those are not good teams. No. Almost none of them are good teams, to be completely no. honest. Like Detroit's okay. Buffalo's should be better than they are. And I don't know. The Capitals are meh. But like they're they're they have a structure at least. But like, yeah, like no it's one's just legit good in there. No, absolutely not. Um, it, it's just yeah, it, it's one of those things. And I think the thing that frustrates me the most, and this isn't completely on DJ Smith, but as the coach, it is absolutely your job. The inconsistency with this team is mind-boggling. I, they still sometimes throw out quotes of like we didn't get the bounces and. You know, like, oh, they're a young, growing team. It's like the, the average age of this core is 24 or older now. Yeah, they're they're not that young anymore. They're no. sneaky. I'm not going to... Actually, you know what they are? They are sneaky old. Yeah, I mean, like, they're in their peak right now. Yeah, because, and like, Giroux is, like, legit old. Tarasenko is legit old. Those are two key pieces. Pretty much everyone other than Stuzzle is prime age then. And Sanderson. Yeah, but still. So, so Sanderson are probably still a little before prime age, but 
Brady Kachuk is 24. Josh Norris is 24. Drake Batherson is 25. Like those are three of your key pieces up front. Uh, Jacob Chitron on the back end is 25. Artem Zub is 28. Even Eric Branstrom is 24 years old. Uh, Thomas Shabbat, who's unfortunately hurt right now, is 26. So he's in his peak or like, you know, peak, generally speaking. Um, yeah. And then again, up front, you have Giroux and Tarasenko. And uh, Tarasenko is maybe more of a secondary piece in terms of, of importance, but he's still like their sixth, seventh most important forward. Um, and Giroux is top three, like Giroux, Claude Giroux. I, I feel like I don't say it on this podcast enough. If anyone listens to my other podcast, they'll be sick of hearing me say this. Claude Giroux is already one of my favorite Ottawa senders of all time. This dude has been so damn good. He is the only consistent part. I talk about inconsistency. He is the only consistent part of this team since he has gotten here. He has been he is unreal. Still really good. Yes. He's at a point. He's on an 82 point pace again. Yeah, yeah, he's been like a legitimate all-star level player the entire time he's been in Ottawa, which is unhinged. Yeah, like, and again, it's just every night it feels like if the team's just absolutely doing nothing, I go, oh my God, some of their big guys are invisible. And then Claude Giroux will be the only one doing something offensively or defensively. It's like, my God, I love this dude. But the point I was getting to is that, yeah, this team, you can't use Young as an excuse. And they will just go from like looking like a very solid team for two to three games to absolutely looking like dog shit for like three games in a row. It's like, how as a coach, can you not, I don't know if it's motivate. I don't know if it's teach like, and, and again, some of this absolutely needs to be on the players for not just, you know, responding themselves. But it's like, how do you have such an up and down where you look like a competent to even pretty good team and then just go all the way the other way and be a not even just a not great team. One of the worst teams defensively I've ever set like set eyes on. Yeah, that's it's such a bad spot. Now, I will say this does put a lot of it on the players. If they don't turn it around at all, they're in a miserable spot. You basically have to look at not blowing it up is not the right word, but like trading a major piece this offseason. Yeah, serious changes. Yeah, like like Thomas Shabbat level. Yep. Drake Batherson level, like change. Yep. Um, And I, I don't even know if that's the worst thing. I, like, genuinely, I don't know if that would be the worst thing for them. I'm not going to lie. Like, Yeah, it obviously depends on who you get, but I, I don't think anyone really outside of the guys you're obviously not trading is so good you can't touch. Yeah, like the only, and again, sentiments, if you asked them this a year ago, would have thought you were crazy. But to me, the only untouchable on this team is untouchables, I guess, is Tim Stutzla and Jake Sanderson. And then Brady Kachuk is right there as well. Yep. Yeah, it would. I'll throw Brady Kachuk in the mix too. I I don't think you're going to. Yeah, those three are to me the only true untouchables and then obviously you have guys like you're not trading Claude Giroux but yeah he's too old no yeah but when it comes to Drake Batherson even Josh Norris and I love Josh Norris but you know he, he's had up and downs and, and you got to hope that that's just him still kind of bouncing back from a pretty uh, serious shoulder injury um, but those two like Shabbat you know Branstrom I wouldn't even really consider part of the core but Jacob Chitron as well like I've liked Chitron's game I think he's maybe not 
he, he's cooled down a little. He had a really hot start with the team and, and cooled down, but I think he's been as advertised basically. But again, like this is not a guy where if he goes, yeah, I need eight by eight or something like that. They don't need to be lining up and being like, yeah, we have to give you that. Yeah. No, hundred percent. You can be more than willing to walk away from that and try to retool. Cause something's got to change. Yeah, for sure. And Again, it, it comes down to kind of what they do for the rest of the season. But the other thing that I cannot stress enough to people listening to this, and especially Ottawa Senators fans listening to this, if the quote-unquote bounce back we see this season comes in March and April, where they rattle off like 8 of 12 or something yeah. like that, and call themselves fixed heading in with momentum to the next year, please do not say that shit to me. That it has been, you four, know, it's coming too. Oh, absolutely! It's been four years of, in a row of the team is so bad that by the end of the year, all they're playing is backups and guys who don't care while they're playing them, and that is the absolute truth. People who are not giving a hundred percent while playing them, and of course they're going to win eight of twelve when they're doing that because they're still an NHL team. But that doesn't mean that the next year when it rolls over, like the the COVID shortened season, might be the best example of this I can ever think of. They started, I think it was 2-12 and 12 or something just absolutely absurd like that. We're out of it from literally the first month. And then by the, I think they missed the playoffs by two points. Because neither of Montreal, ironically, who ended up going to the cup finals, or Calgary, who also missed, really wanted to make the playoffs that year. And, I forgot about that. Yeah, the Canadian division where nobody wanted to make the playoffs. Yeah, and it... Uh, they they so I, I'm just trying to see if I can find that end of the year. But they they literally ended up going like 13, 4, and three or something like that at the end of the year. I, I don't know, like something like that where they literally brought themselves back in the mix. And maybe it wasn't two, but it was four or five, something like that. Um, and I swear to God, everyone on Sense Twitter was like, "This team's actually pretty good. Like they're, they're kind of dangerous, you know." And and it's like, "Oh, look out! Like they got the momentum." It's like, no, they just played a bunch of teams that know how incredibly bad they are. Yeah. Well, that's a timing fallacy that people always do too, right? Like if you have a bad first half and a good second half, we're just like, Oh, we're great going into next year. It's like, well, if you flip those, you'd be like, we're screwed, even though it's the exact same result. Yeah, exactly. Like, and how many times have we seen it with a team like Buffalo? They did the same yeah. stuff. Yeah. A I, lot I get of bad teams too. Oh, yeah, I just looked up. So they, they finished eight points out of a playoff spot, which is a little more than I thought. But like they finished the year 7-2-1 and 23-28-5. And, and, and I think we picked like ninth that year in the draft or something like that. Um, it, it just, yeah, like that, that cannot be, the turnaround cannot be, oh, yeah, they looked good in late February, March, and the beginning of April. The, yep. the turnaround needs to be like, before Christmas, basically. I know they only have two games to do that, but if not in January and like right away in January. Yeah, and it's got to be fast. And that sounds like a tall task because it is, because it is now 100% on the players to do this. Yeah. Yeah. It's entirely on them. There's literally no more excuse. And, and the other thing that really frustrates me about this too, and, you know, I think it's a little ironic just, you know, sitting, watching how many people made fun of Leaf, especially Sens fans, made fun of Leaf fans about, oh, you screwed your team because you paid your entire core before they did anything. This entire team has been paid. And yep. they have been paid yeah. well. They're all, they all got deals. 
That's Jason. A, yep. Like why you gotta think about moving? I think because it's not like this team has a ton of cap space. Because the problem is obviously depth, but and again, it's like not easy to fix right now. I don't think a ton of the deals even are that bad. Tim Stutzla eight by eight, unreal. Even with the down season he's having, Brady yeah. Kachuk eight by eight. I will take that. Josh Norris eight by just below eight. That one's a little more up in the air, but again, we've seen him look like well over or at least an $8 million player. Claude Giroux at 6.5, more than worth his value. Batherson has a $5 million per year contract. Again, that goes up and down. Thomas Shabbat has eight uh, mil on the back end, and so does Jake Sanderson. I like a lot of those deals, but the team can't be 26th in the league by points percentage or 28th or whatever, and the entire core is paid and just happy with it. Well, I think the problem is, we've kind of touched on this before, right? Like, there's a non-linearity at top. So, like, having Matthews just immediately means you can get away with having a bad fourth line because the gap between Matthews and, like, a normal first liner is so great. Like, I don't think they have anyone who's, like, outlier level that allows them to get away with their lackluster depth, even though it's not the top guy's fault, necessarily. It's just the depth is so bad that they aren't good enough to overcome. Kind of, yeah. Um, I, I agree to a point. Tim Stutzel should be that guy. I'm not saying Tim Stutzel needs to be He's Austin Matthews level, that guy, but... But he that's the guy they wanted slash hoped him to turn into, or, you know, whatever you want yes. to say, 90% of that, right? And he still um, might, but I I don't think he's remotely close to that level at the moment. No, and that, but that's been part of the problem, too, is, you know, there are just games where he looks invisible. And yeah. it's funny because he still has 29 points in 26 games. But he's just not yeah. controlling the game like the team needs him to. Like, I don't even think he's as good as Nylander at the moment. Never mind Matthews. Yeah, like he, I'm just trying to pull up his underlying numbers. I feel like, and I haven't looked at them in a couple of weeks, but like. They're pretty good if, if I remember correct. Last year, they were really strong. This yeah. year, I'm not as sure. Because this year, and again, this is the thing where last year, the, not the opposite was true, but last year, their top end, yeah, they're still pretty solid this year, to be completely honest with you. Yeah, that's um, what I thought. Last year, their top six all was like pretty damn solid to the point where like they were kind of just making up for their lack of depth uh, in last season, but their depth was so horrendous. It didn't matter. And this year it's similar. Jeez, this is 15th in goals above replacement. He's been better than I feel like he has. Like that, that and, and okay, this kind of goes back to where I'm talking about of like, I still feel he has a very clear another step to take. Oh, yeah. I, I think he can be an MVP-level player. Agreed. Um, at least at some point. Like, I think his peak is going to be poking around that conversation, at least. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, this year, it's like, they. I do agree with you in that they still don't have enough talent on their team that they can just be purposely throwing out Mark Kostelik, Zach McEwen, Parker Kelly, and Travis Hamannick, and, you know, even if it's only seven, eight minutes a night. Those guys aren't yeah. NHL-caliber players. Well, and the reality is, too, like the sense depth is so bad. I brought up like the Leafs as an example who've had some depth struggles, but I'm not 100% sure. Like the sense depth is so bad. I'm not 100% sure any of the top cores overcome it. 
Like we've seen McDavid get sewered by terrible depth. It's fine. It happens to everyone if it's bad enough. Yeah, Dominic Kubalik has six goals and one assist in 26 games. That was like the primary piece of the Debrinket trade, which again, oh, don't even get me started on that stupid trade again. Yeah, that's that's miserable. Where's he playing? Middle six? Middle to bottom because he can't really do anything. Yeah. Jeez. And, you know, and like Matthew Joseph has had a decent rebound season. Like he's been a a fine depth piece. He's at 19 points in 25 games. Um, but even he's, you know, a little streaky. But again, you're not going to complain about that for a guy who started on your fourth line. But, you know, Zach McEwen has, I don't even want to, I don't even know if he has three points. No, he has one assist in 12 games. And like, is horrendous anytime he's on the ice. And obviously, you know, they're, they're hoping they get some depth back when they get Shane Pinto back in the lineup. You know, that, that was a guy they were planning on being a, not integral, but you know, a, a decent part of the an integral part of the depth, I guess is what I'll say. Um, yeah. Ridley Gregg is another guy, three goals, six assists for nine, uh, nine points in 16 games. He missed a decent amount of time with an injury. They took shots like that this year of like banking on 21 year olds to kind of push through, but this is the risk with that is if they either get a hurt or B just don't develop quite as you would hope it leaves a giant hole in the bottom of your roster. And the answer to that cannot just be, well, we signed three below replacement level players. Let's just play that. Yeah. Yeah. You need in-house answers or you need to go aggressively find them else. Yeah. And they tried to get the in-house answers and, Again, like I still think Ridley Gregg is going to be a very useful player for this team and maybe even this season. But when he's hurt, the next answer cannot just be, oh, yeah, we're going to throw Zach McEwen then. Yeah. That's ugly. Yeah. And like Dominic Kubelik, negative six goals above replacement this year. Jesus. That's impressive, yeah. actually. Yep, Branstrom said negative four. He has had struggled at times too. And again, some of that's when they asked him to kind of step up in the lineup with Zub and Shabbat out. Um, but like Kostelik, McEwen, Travis Hamanick, Rourke Chartier, like they're, they're all down there. It's like, and again, like Rourke Chartier, I, I don't expect anyone listening to this podcast to know who he is. He's played 25 games with the team this year and is minus 0.1 goals above replacement. So it's like, he's just been whatever. But it's like, why, like, why are we icing this guy? Yeah, yeah, you need to dream bigger than that. Yeah, and and this is the real problem right now. If you had to guess, name the top five players in goals above replacement for this team this year. For the Senators? Yeah. Let's go, you know, Stuzzle. Stuzzle's number one, yep, 9.4. Across positions? Yep, all positions, except for goalie, but. Okay, I'm going to go Giroux, too. Giroux is four. Okay. Um, Sanderson. Sanderson actually. Okay, yeah. Is Sanderson's an eighth. Okay. Chikrin. Chikrin is two. Okay, that makes sense because he's yeah he had the hot start. Um, I know. Speaking of hot starts, this might be really out there because I haven't paid that much attention. Is it like Tarasenko? No, Tarasenko is down near the bottom. He's in 13th. Okay. He did have a hot start, correct? 
he had a very cold start and then scored oh. like three goals and then kind of cool. He's very hot and cold, oh. which I think is what you should expect from Tarasenko. And yeah, I think that's a reasonable. A lot of his value lost in goals above replacement is defensively, which again, I think you should reasonably expect. Yeah, we could, we all could have seen that one coming. You don't need to be a, a forecaster yeah. to see that. The other two guys are players we've already talked about, Matthew Joseph and Ridley Gregg. When Matthew Joseph is third on your team in goals above replacement, your big guys aren't doing enough. Yeah. And and again, he's had a really great year. 8.4 goals above replacement in 25 games. 1.3 wins above replacement. That's that's yeah. very good for him. But that is good. Drake Batherson, 3.3. Jake Sanderson, 2.5. Thomas Shabbat, 2.3. Brady Kachuk, 2. Josh Norris, 1.9. Not good enough. Norris especially. I know he was hurt, but yeah, that's that's brutal. Same with Tachuk, actually. Yep, and this is the thing where I really hope that the coach, the new coach, comes in in Jack Martin and helps fix. Even strength D, 13 of the 22 players are negative. And Drake Batherson is an even zero. 13. That's replacement, too. There are only three players that have one goal above replacement for even strength D. They are Matthew Joseph, Artem Zub, and Jacob Chitrin. That's brutal. Yeah. Giroux, Shabbat. Yes, Chitrin's been really solid. Like Again, when I say he's cooled off a little bit, it's not like he's been bad. He just hasn't been. like He was a top five, top ten defenseman for like the first 20 games of the year. Yeah, he was like the world on fire. Yeah, the team just sucked that no one really noticed. But it just, yeah, like Shabbat just hasn't brought enough offensively at all. Like he's right where you'd hope he would be defensively, but offensively he's brought like one goal above replacement, uneven strength offense, and negative 0.6 on power play offense. Just not good enough. So I singled out the wrong person when I focused on Stuzzle to start there. It's everyone except Stuzzle. Yep, basically. Stuzzle and yeah. Ch- Chitron are the only two that Chitron. are like really pulling their way. And Zub makes like $4 million. So that one I think is fine as well. But from the stars... Zub's like, a good contract. Yeah. The the core six or seven or whatever you want to say, five of them are not playing anywhere close to what they need to be doing. Especially Brady Kachuk. Yeah, that's tough. And I know when People always talk about the intangible value, but like it goes the other way too. Like if there's that much intangible value in Brady and he's not playing well, that's the worst thing. Yeah. And like the other thing too is, and I've seen this a couple times, and this is probably more just like a, a microcosm of who I follow or whatever, you know, get very specific people that I see. There's been multiple times where they've got just blown out in absolutely embarrassing fashion, but then at the end of the game, they have a line brawl or whatever, and people are like, oh, there's no quit in this team. It's like, who cares? They're down 5-0. Like, this team should be more pissed off the next time they start a game. Not right now. This is fake outrage. Yeah, it's too late. Yeah, like, so I I really hope that, and and I think that because uh, again the last time uh, Martin coached the Ottawa Senators, we were like three and four years old. But from what people I've seen said, I didn't know is, he ever coached them. To be honest, yes, two thousand two. He was like their coach when they couldn't get past the Leafs a bunch of times. Like he was Ooh. their heyday coach. 
Um, but yeah, like people said that one of his best features was getting forwards to play more responsible defensively. So I, and, and that's the biggest thing that I think this team absolutely can improve on is just their defensive awareness, where they're playing, how they're playing in their defensive zone. And I don't mean just like even breaking the puck out. I just mean like bait. It's things you should think of as basic of just, Hmm, there's two of my guys chasing a guy in the corner. Maybe I should look behind me and see if anyone's standing wide out in front of the net. Basic. Keep your head on a swivel level uh, coaching. Yeah. And, and like, and that, and getting back to DJ is that is what frustrate me, frustrated me so much about the fact that he kept his job for honestly, you can argue a year and a half longer than he should have is they never learned that stuff or never seemed to be enforced on that stuff. There was just no accountability. Like Brady Kachuk has had multiple horrendous games this year, just keeps throwing them out on the ice. And I get you, you don't sit him for like three, four games or anything like that, but there's nothing wrong with sitting him for 10 minutes and being like, all right, think about what you did. Go out and be better because this is not good enough. Yeah, there's got to be some level of consequence there. Exactly. No matter who you are. Yeah, like, and same with just like, they get absolutely blown out by Vegas in in what was definitely DJ's last game. And and everyone kind of felt that was coming. He weirdly got to run the practice the next day. And they had a light, good-hearted practice because he felt, quote, they needed to change something up because the vibes weren't good. It's like, come on, man. You just yeah, put up the most a, lifeless performance ever. That's a tough sell, unless it works. But God, you're going to look like an idiot if that doesn't go well. Yeah, and I just, there was no way to, for it to go well. And and then even let the chance to see if it went well, because they canned them that day. So, um, yeah, it's, I, I feel not bad, but like, I do want to point out that DJ Smith, the person, does seem like a very good guy. Everyone who's talked to him said they loved him. You know, the players obviously all loved him. Fans, any interaction he had seemed to be a great guy. I think he genuinely was a very good hire for when this team was starting their rebuild because he helped guys like Brady Kachuk and Tim Sutzel when they were not a good team keep the spirits high despite everything else, right? Yep. Yeah, there's a lot of value there. Yep, absolutely. But a year or even two ago at this point, it was pretty clear he was not the guy to bring this team through and to give him chance after chance after chance with absolutely nothing changing is on the team. And and again, like there, there's some complicating factors of like, I do understand a little bit why they couldn't fire him this summer because they were in literally the middle of a sale. Um, that's a pretty big part of the, yeah. the team. Yeah, it just kind of goes status quo basically. Exactly. But when this, and then this new ownership, I get they want, they want to try and evaluate, but it's like, they're at the point now where they have to play at almost like a 650 clip just to get to 98 points. Jeez. Yeah. They're, they're screwed from that perspective. Yeah. And so keeping him for this four game, lo- like losing streak that they're on has really just felt like they've punted another season away. Yeah. They're seven points back of the Sabres who, I don't know if people in here are in tune with the Sabres or listening to Sabres fan. Sabres are in a downward spiral right now. Now they have games in hand, so they will catch them, but still. Yeah, yeah, they have six games in hand, but again, those games in hand mean shit if you're going to win one of every four. <laughs> yeah, when you're playing at less than a point per game pace, you don't necessarily just get to assume that you're guaranteed to be coming back. And again, their goals for is better than their XG. 
they need to get like significantly better to yeah, see this well, improve. Like they need to get better just to keep breaking even kind of thing. Yeah, and, and that's why I kind of hold out hope because how many times have I said on here, it makes no sense they're playing down to Chase because they're a team that probably will outperform their XG often enough just with how much high-end talent yeah. they do have on the roster. But they yep. need to play to that. You yes. know, like, yeah, you need to, you need to give them a chance. Yes. Get to a point where if you're not just outperforming your XG, you just have enough expected goals that the ones that do go in is enough to win the damn game. Yeah. Yeah. Make yourself anti-fragile. So you have your, your three XG that you can win the game when you're, when you or four XG, when you underperform it a little, you still score three and win. Exactly. And yeah, like, and, and that's why I'm still holding out. Again, I don't really think playoffs, it's such a long shot at this point, but I am holding out that this team could look completely different in a month or so just because of how bad their structure was. And if that is something they can nail down, and I don't know, that's a big if, quite like obviously big if, but if that is something they can nail down, this team will look better just like immediately, man. And, yeah. you know, I, I'm i sure that just sounds like a fan drinking the Kool-Aid or whatever. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but that is what needs to happen if they want to improve. Yeah, I think that makes sense. So, yeah, I, I don't have too much more to say about it. Uh, interesting that Daniel Alfredson's going behind the bench as well on a full-time thing. He's they're they're two and zero with him behind the bench. He was behind the bench in Sweden, so. Um, hmm. But I don't know. I, I think it's that worried. <laughs> Anytime you see a franchise that trouble and they're like yeah we're bringing back the fan favorite that's a i know yeah. dgb loves bringing it up that's a pretty big red flag usually yeah he's been working with the org on and off for since he retired and then also just full-time since the new ownership took over but again coaching is not really i'll, I'll be interested to see what he, his role actually is as a coach because if it's literally just a dude to stand behind the bench and be like here try to do this or whatever sure okay but if it's like no he's got to run the penalty kill it's like well I don't know maybe how I feel not. about that, you know? Yeah. You know, maybe he's replacing, like, if you're going to fire a player's coach, you want to bring in somebody who's relatable and likable and all that. Like, there, there's enough ways it can make sense. Yeah. And again, I, I feel better that's not the head coach, but it's definitely one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, this is exciting. But also it's like, yeah, like, this work, this doesn't work out more often than it does, it feels like. Yes, exactly. So, um yeah, I don't know. I, I don't really, I feel like I don't have too much more to say. I mean, I'm sure I could talk about it for much longer, but <laughs> for forever. yes, but there, there's not much more we need to say at this point. I think, um, yeah, like the, the next month or so, I'm going to be very, very, very curious to watch this team play. Um, and it's, it just simply comes down to, it is now all in the players. There's absolutely no excuse left for them. Not injuries, yeah. not schedule, nothing. Yeah, so, yeah, 100%. There's nothing left. Yeah, so uh, they started tonight, or probably maybe tomorrow, or yesterday, sorry, because we are recording this at about 7 p.m. They play the Arizona Coyotes tonight. Not a bad team to try and get off the uh, schneid against if you need to. Um, they've definitely been better this year, but they're still not world beaters by um, any yep. stretch of the imagination. Yeah, they're not scaring anyone, even still. No, so... Uh, yeah, let's move on. But before we do, sports betting has rapidly risen in popularity, and we want to connect you all with an opportunity to get started or get ahead. 
Having multiple sportsbook accounts is the most simple way to maximize your profits, and there's never been a better time to sign up. When you visit our page, signupexpert.com slash MNM, you'll be connected to all the sportsbooks in your region, along with a review, a review of each platform and its unique benefits. When you use multiple sportsbooks, you ensure that you always access the best available odds, which is key to successful sports betting. Again, if you want to take advantage of these benefits and support our brand, please consider signing up for your next sportsbook at signupexpert.com slash MNM. All right. Um, I didn't realize a trade happened this weekend. Um, did you know that? I think I missed that too. Thomas Bracken. Tatar got traded oh, to the I, Seattle Kraken. Yeah, I did see that. This... I don't know if I understand this from either. I mean, like from t Colorado side, Tatar has just been pretty replacement level by the looks of it. Um, yeah, he so, struggled. He struggled there a lot, actually. Yeah, like his RAPM, nothing jumps off the page really aggressively one way or the other, and it's just like okay. But from he Seattle, a hero, <laughs> RAPM. Yeah, exactly. And from Seattle's side of things, it's like, why are you giving him a fourth for that guy then? I like it, actually. I guess it's a He's fit. got priors. I like I, the bet. I guess. I just don't understand what... Like, Seattle sucks. That is true. I think I, you could get more than a fifth of the deadline. I was, yes, okay. That's exactly what I was about to say, is if that is the plan where it's like, yeah, let's boost up his value and flip him again at the deadline, fair enough. I have no problem with that. Yeah, like even if you turn him into a third, I think that's doable. Yeah, a fourth. It's like, okay, you just improved yeah. your draft by like 30 spots to have a guy on your roster for 40 games. Yeah, move up around. Yeah, I I don't know. Like even in Colorado, he had nine points in 27 games. It's like, that's not great. But for $1.5 million, that doesn't seem like the end of the world either. Yeah. Especially twenty-seven point pace. They're rolling just fine too. Like, seems fine. Yeah, and unless they need the cap space, and maybe it's just simply clearing cap space for the deadline, which probably is would make enough sense, right? You know, you go, you look, and like they're already over the cap because they're using LTIR, um, but I don't think they have any projected cap space. So maybe it's just as simple as we have internal guys we feel are better than him and. That's who we're going to use, which that's fair enough, I guess. I think that's definitely fair, especially because Tatar, you should be expecting to play like legitimately well. So if it's he, you're getting like replacement level ish results out of him, you can probably look and go, well, maybe he just doesn't fit in our system or something. It's time to move on and find someone else that does sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's that's fair. I would say he's making $1.5 million, so I don't know how well you could have reasonably expected him to play. Like, he did have 20 goals last year, though. So, I like, yeah. if you're looking at like, yeah. have been amazing. Yes. It, that's a good point, is even if he's not scoring, if he's play driving and you're not getting scored on, that's key. But if he's not doing that, it's like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, like, he would usually have the thing where you don't necessarily need him scoring but now he's not even doing that yeah. not doing and either seattle is burakowski and jaden schwartz on injured reserve so they just needed a, a body that is an nhl player um i think that's that's fine There's and it looks 
Yep. It looks like Colorado is going to replace him with uh, Joel uh, Kivaranta right now. Um, and then apparently Ben Myers. I'm just reading uh, um, this athletic article by Peter Bow and Thomas Drance as well. Um, but where does Seattle's money go? I thought they had a ton of cap space. Uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, they just paid a bunch of guys like $5 million. Yeah. And I guess Dunn went from nothing to seven and. They're paying like ten point one million dollars for eight point or point eight eight goaltending. Yeah, they have a very expensive goaltending room for what they got. Yeah, that's fair. I thought they had a ton of space for some reason. I know they did a couple of years ago, but I was about to say, ah, you know, they have the money anyways. Take the million dollar shot, but that's kind of all their flexibility. Yep, their entire decor makes two point seven million dollars or more. That's aggressive. <laughs> William Borgen, 2.7. Justin Schultz, 3. Ryan Dumoulin, 3.15. Adam Larson, 4. Jamie Alexiak, 4.6. Vince Dunn, 7.35. I'm not sure if any of those are good contracts. Some of them aren't bad. I don't know if any of those are good. Yeah, it's a weird spot because I think you can uh, argue they're all probably just like fair value, but you're not really getting a surplus on any of them. Yeah. And their forwards, their highest paid forward who is active right now is Jordan Everly at 5.5. Their highest paid forward on the team is uh, also Jordan Everly, Schwartz, and Burakowski at 5.5. Their highest player on the team outside of Vince Dunn, Philip Grubauer at 5.9, who has been horrendous. Yeah, that's a tough one. So um, That's really tough. Save percentage starts with an eight all three seasons for you. They are still in a good spot looking long-term, though. Like, relatively yeah, speaking. All their picks and stuff, right? Yep, yeah, they have. An extra third. Like, they're third, chilling. Yep, an extra seventh this year, all their picks. Their long-term con. Well, too. well, then that's what I was about to say is, like, they have a decent prospect system. Like, I, I don't know what you think about Shane Wright, but, like, Jagger Fergus, I know he's he was a high-year touted guy for where he went as well, like, I seem to remember he kind of slipped in the draft. Yeah, he's a prospect model god. Yeah, uh, Ty Nelson, I want to say, was uh, another guy that people liked when they picked him in the third round, even if he's not like you know unreal or anything like that. Like, yeah, they just Yanni Nyman, Edward yep. Chalet. Like, they just kind of consistently make good picks. Yep, and a lot of their contract, like the Grubauer one, is by far the worst. Three more years after this at five point nine, and then Vince Dunn. It just kind of depends how he does, but. Like Vince Dunn and Philip Grubauer are their longest contracts, along with Jared McCann at three more after this at five. Like they just really don't have big, big money tied up long term, and big. they have a lot of money coming off the books over the next year or two. That's a good spot to be. And even if Dunn's not like a great contract, like I don't think Dunn making seven point threes really hamstringing you to anything. No, I agree. I, I do think them going on just an absolute shooting bender last year. I don't want to say it's detrimental to the franchise. Like they won a playoff round, which I'm sure goes a long way to like building a fan base and everything like that. But like, if you're purely looking at it as like, what does this team think they are? That season was almost more detrimental to just sticking the course and rebuilding for two or three years. Yeah. Because something like that can just raise expectations to such an unrealistic degree. Like this team is who they are right now. Yeah, exactly. And like, again, they have Matty Baneers in the NHL as well, who should just keep improving, you would hope. Um, 
they have pieces, but they they are lacking that one really big piece, or even two or three kind of big pieces, you know? Yeah, 100%. So. Um, and they're going to, the thing is, too, like, they haven't been bad enough to really, the one year they wore, they got Shane Wright, who I like, but I mean, they haven't, they got screwed from the bad draft class. They haven't drafted anyone that I think is going to be, like, that good either. I think they've just consistently drafted guys who will outperform their position, but you probably need absolute stars too, which I don't see a great path to. Yeah, I mean, like this year might be the, the path, to be completely honest with you. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. It's a good draft. They're they're still fifth in their division, but you know, the Oilers are gonna yeah, pass them. It's gonna pass them, yeah. The Ducks are Redness again, too, man. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be tough this year. They're probably not out tanking the Ducks, the Sharks, the Blackhawks. They'll probably get passed by the Wild. Um, probably, probably, and they'll get passed by the Senators. I would. But I don't know guess. if they're passing the Blue Jackets. Like, I don't know if the Blue Jackets are going to finish with more points than them. No, I don't think the Blue Jackets will. Also, I think the Canadians are going to out tank them the other way. Yep. So that's what seventh already, I guess. Yeah. Like, one team wins the lottery. Suddenly, you're picking eight. Yep. Depending, even what St. Louis does, if they really decide to blow it up this deadline, like. Yep. Yeah, they can yeah. randomly fall off. Maybe. That's tough. I don't yep. think it's entirely out of the woods that Detroit ends up out taking them <laughs> the other way too. Yeah, Detroit will be an interesting one as well because they started so hot. I, even if it's the right thing to do, I cannot see how their fan base will tolerate another year where they sell as, you know, a team that's quote unquote in the mix, even if they're not actually. But remember how pissed people were at Iserman last year, even though he did the right thing, saying this team's not good enough. They were almost in a playoff spot. If he does the same thing twice in a, in a row, people are going to. Yes, rightfully or wrongfully, people will be really angry. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. But, but I'm thinking they might not have a choice. They might just fall off. Same with the Coyotes kind of thing. One of the two probably will. Yeah, I, I, I think that is um, more than fair. Like, if, Yeah, both probably won't, but one probably will. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think the Red Wings... They're 15, 12, and 4. They did just give themselves such a cushion with the way they started that it's like they really, really have to fall off to drop down to a team like even Seattle's level who has five less points than them in... And Detroit has two games in hand? Yeah. Yeah, games in hand. I didn't notice that. That'll actually be pretty tough. Make it, what, seven points by the time you're evened out. Yeah. It's like, again, it's not impossible. It's just, uh, I don't see Seattle getting a ton better this year either, right? Like, this is, you said it perfectly. Like, this is who Seattle is, it it feels like. Yep. Yeah, they're actually a pretty good XG team, but they're not the kind of team I would bet on outperforming that much in the long run. No, I I completely agree. Also Um, account for the fact that you have to pay for the, the sins of last year's shooting percentage, and there you go. Yeah, you get it the other way this year, and yeah, it's only fair. Exactly. 
Um, the other team, much different, obviously, than the Kraken, but another team that I think is maybe flying under the radar about how much they're struggling is the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yes. I want to re-listen to our preview. I think I was fairly low on the Lightning, correct? Yeah, I... um. I think so. Yeah, I, I think we both had them. I want to say in the playoffs still, but on the like bubble area, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I remember going through the lines. And the Lightning's line was like 92 and a half points. And then the more I looked at it, the more I was like, yeah, I don't think the Lightning. Because like, I know when you get a team like the Lightning, everybody's like, oh, I'm not going to call them. I'm not going to bet against them until I've seen evidence to the contrary. But like, if you do bet against them, you're going to be right eventually. And it looks like this might be the year. Yeah, people are always, and I don't know, kind of rightfully, I guess, scared because how many years have we said that with the Bruins as well? Where it's like, yeah. but yeah. We've like been the, right about the Capitals though. Like they won however many President's Trophy and they didn't hit a cliff, but like they're not good anymore. Yeah, exactly. And like even Pittsburgh Penguins this year. too. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, like the Lightning have 14 wins and 18 losses. Now, five of those are in overtime, which is what inflates their, their point total a little bit. Um, yeah, it gets them to above Batman 500. But like they have the same, if you're only looking at wins and losses and not including overtime, they have the same win-loss differential as the Ottawa Senators. That's kind of funny, actually. Yeah, which that, that was the only other thing, not to rehash this. I don't know how Ottawa never gets loser points. That's They're crazy. 11 and 15. OT losses. Yeah, and last year, I'm pretty sure they had the least in the league as well. Actually, no, they ended up with eight. Okay, so they had more than I thought last year. For like the first half of the year, they also had like zero. It was absurd. But um, yeah. anyways, yeah, back to the Lightning. Like, again, part of the regular season it's not a good strategy or anything like long-term success, but there is something to be said about when you don't have it, you can still pull the game into overtime and get a point, but that shouldn't be what you're relying on to stay in the playoff race. Yeah. It's not a great strategy to need. It's a good strategy to have kind of thing. Exactly. Um, Yeah. Like they're just, and Vasilevsky has not, unless he's improved like in the past week or two, he looked really bad when he returned. Um, yeah, he got lit up. I don't think he's been that bad since, but I don't think he's been like a world beater either. I'm just going to pull up his numbers real quick. Yeah, like he's back to a 0.3 goal save above expected. But again, like that's, you need more than that out of Vasilevsky. But given how bad he started, that definitely means he has been fine. Even good, I would say. Yeah, I agree. Um, also, one other thing I forgot to mention with the Arizona Coyotes thing. If you want to look at somewhere where they might fall off, Connor Ingram being the second goalie in goal save expected this year feels not sustainable. Actually, yep. that's he's been, insane. He's been unreal. 16 goals saved above expected. Uh, I think he's got like a 925 save percentage or something like that. Like he has been really, really good. Yeah, they're... <laughs> their team XG is 5% lower than the Kraken and their goals for percentage is 5% higher. 
Yeah. So um, not to bounce around topics too much, but yeah, like again, with Tampa, it's just, it's one of those things where I understand because I was pretty hesitant as well to be like, I still kind of want to see it before I truly believe it. But if, if slash when, because it was said by not just us, obviously other people this off season, if you told me Tampa misses the playoffs by four points because their stars are still pretty good, but their depth is so horrendous, they can't overcome it. Much like a conversation we had earlier. Would that really surprise you? Yeah. Yeah. And the difference being they have a goalie you could plausibly expect to be elite, but I mean, like the stars are starting to like Stamkos isn't doing great this year either. He's scoring, but. And again, like even that is kind of expected. Like they're all 33, 30, not all, but like I think Kucherov's 30, Stamkos is 32, if I'm not mistaken. Like, yeah, Sorelli has been great. They're lucky Kucherov's playing like absurdly good. And it's like MVP level. Yeah, and it's masking a significant number of their problems. Yeah, he's fourth in the league in goals above replacement. Yeah, which makes makes total sense. Yeah, players like around him getting fried at events. He's just scoring on the power play. Yeah, players around Kucherov, Nathan McKinnon, Alexander Barkov, Elias Pettersson, Jack Eichel, Sean Couturier. Pretty good group. Yeah, Zach Hyman leads the group. Ironically, at fourteen, the best one of the bunch, as he should. <laughs> uh, but then, yeah, like Jesper Bratt, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Ryan O'Reilly, Quinn Hughes, Stefan Nosen is uh, goal, uh, evolving hockey's goals of replacement always has like two or three guys in their top 20 where it's like, this seems un- hilarious that they are here. And it always makes me wonder how much just like team effects or who they're not even team effect, just who they're playing with is uh, maybe not oh, being yeah. accounted for properly. Well, I think it's just because they don't use priors. So the model's trying to learn from 300 minutes who's good based on what happened. And it's just being like, oh. Like, if someone goes to the bench and misses a goal that they created, like, twice at this point, the model could probably assume that it's their line mate doing everything. Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, like, Brandon Hagel's up there. I'm assuming he's probably played time with Nikita Kucherov and, you know, yeah, get exactly. some of that credit. Same with, you know, Hyman McDavid's 13th. And I'm going to guess who's probably driving that a little more, you know? Like, yeah, it, but. that happened with uh, Bunting and Matthews the one year. Too. Yes. They were both still good, but Bunting had like a historic kind of war season. It was like, yeah, <laughs> I, I know for a fact who's driving this one. And it's not Bunting. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, like, I, I don't know. I Again, with Tampa, nothing would surprise me if they make it back to the playoffs. I I don't think that would be shocking, but I feel pretty confident in saying something very significant would have to change for them to be like a legit cup contender. Yeah. I think they're in the, the Pittsburgh, what Pittsburgh was when they exited the cup contender phase. At this yep, point. The Washington Pittsburgh of like 2019. Yeah, exactly. Like, I still don't think you're happy to see them in a playoff series, assuming they can catch Detroit. But, to, yeah, they're not as terrifying as they used to be. No, absolutely not. And, again, yeah, like I think the the big difference for Tampa, especially why you might not want to play them, even with Pittsburgh, you know, with and Washington really too, with, you know, Holtby and Matt Murray's cup run, obviously, 
but they didn't have a goalie like Vasilevsky. Vasilevsky's a different tier, yeah, 100%. But if you're Tampa, you can't be like, Vasilevsky and Kucherov need to win us three rounds or we're screwed. Yeah, yeah you can't just rely on that. Well, I think, too, I don't know for sure if this is true, but I'm assuming looking at their numbers that they've become increasingly power play dependent. Just looking at standards. Yeah, they were right with Ottawa and Toronto in like expected goals for when I was looking. They're in like tw- the twentieth range and natural stat trick. Yeah, so if you're if you're going to become increasingly a special teams and goalie team, like, yeah, you can get hot, but that's a tough way to live in the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's a pretty good place to wrap it up, though. Um, okay. Anything else you wanted to touch on? I don't think so. Yeah, uh, we were supposed to have a guest on, but something came up, and we're hoping to hopefully have it have them next week. Uh, up in the air a little bit when we record. I guess the the one other thing, and we don't need to go super long on this. The World Juniors are starting next week, which is pretty exciting. Um, sure. Boston lent Matthew uh, Poitras to Team Canada, which I saw that. I like that. I like it too. As a Team Canada fan or a Canadian citizen, <laughs> I don't totally understand it from boston's perspective i think i would be willing to do it if i was boston i guess i just i i think teams should do it more to be honest yeah? that's interesting i always wondered how much it actually mattered to go quote unquote dominate the tournament for like nine games i don't think it would hurt anyone by any means i just to me yeah, i don't know I don't... if playing third line minutes on a good team like boston is is worse than dominating a U20 t- tournament. That's fair. I would just do it as like a personal thing. Like, I don't actually think it matters from a developmental perspective unless they're just not playing. But, you know, go win, go, go win a gold medal for Canada. Try yeah, it, that's fair enough. Like, if it's something he wanted to do, and, and I also really understand it when it's a guy where they're like, trying to save a game's played mark or something where they're like, yeah. yeah, we just need a couple more weeks before we want to figure out what on earth to do with this guy. But um, this was, a, a I was not expecting this guy at all. Like some people were talking uh, Kershinsky from Chicago. Yep. And, yeah, I, could have seen that. I, and I would also do that if I was Chicago. Yeah. So that's what I understand because it's like, well, I can actually see how that'd be more valuable than playing on an absolutely Fant- horrendous team where you're struggling. Fantilli should go as well. Yep, exactly. But yeah, the Boston lending a guy, I was like, huh, I don't see that. Or I didn't see that coming, but very excited. Um, If Boston doesn't win the cup this year, him winning a gold medal, if they do win, will probably be the biggest accomplishment of his entire life. Let him go to it. Yeah, I mean, if if he wants to, like that's a totally different conversation, I think, altogether. Yeah. I'm just also never sure how much like, obviously everyone weighs things differently. Some people might rather win a gold medal. Some people might rather make an NHL paycheck and get closer to, you know, their arbitration date and stuff like that to make money. Yeah. Yeah. And that's absolutely fair. It's, it's very personal dependent. I'm sure maybe Fantilli doesn't want to go. He'd rather stay with the team or something. Yeah, exactly. So either way, um, those will be exciting. And I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit next week as well. Um, not totally sure when we're recording just yet because of obviously Christmas and New Year's, but the next episode will definitely come out after Christmas. So uh, Merry Christmas, or Happy Holidays to everyone. Um, 
We hope you have a happy and safe new year uh, as well. And we will talk to you all next week. As always, you can find me on Twitter at NHL Sons Stuff, Chase on Twitter at CM Hockey 66, and the podcast at Eminem Hockey Pod. Chase at EliteProspects.com, my stuff at LastWordOfHockey.com. Uh, thank you, everyone, so much for listening, and we'll see you all next week. 